move on with the uh, series that we've been doing. You know, we have been talking about whether we're headed for the Great Tribulation immediately or not, and I think it's not, though I think there are periods of time when things get worse. There are certain temptations or threats uh, that exist in all generations, and we have to be prepared for those. One of those is the problem of assimilation, uh, where the culture uh, begins to conform us so that we lose our identity and lifestyle that is conformed to the will of God and the image of His Son. Now remember that assimilation can be seductive or coercive, and America has been filled with the seductive type, and many have fallen for it. The coercion, though, is beginning to come our way, and that will lead to two forms of persecution. One uh, is connected to assimilation, it's a threat persecution that says, you become like us, or we will persecute you. We're beginning to see some of that. That's forced assimilation. The second form of persecution says, you can never be one of us, so we're going to remove you by exile, imprisonment, or death. And we saw that clearly, and Israel saw that in the Holocaust. So I gave you some principles that we're supposed to keep in mind. I want to remind you of those. The first one is that we are to live in peaceful wisdom that retreats from harm. We're not supposed to become belligerent in this thing. Secondly, some people are going to be delivered by the hand of God to show His faithfulness. And some are going to suffer. And both those who are delivered and those who suffer, if they are doing the will of God, are saints in the real sense. And so we, we need to be really careful about judging those who have been delivered as if they're greater and those who suffer as if they're less because the book of Hebrews actually says that those who have suffered are, have a greater reward than those who were delivered. The third one is that our prayers for those who are in authority, our government officials, should be that we can live quiet and peaceful lives, not for their destruction. If they're destroyed, it will be by God's vengeance, not ours. And he tells us to leave room for that. Also suggested that we live in a governmental system that's quite different from those who lived and wrote in biblical times. We need to be aware of that. We saw that this week as the Supreme Court uh, allows the churches, particularly in California, to begin to have indoor services again with certain restraints on them. But we have the ability to uh, redress uh, government things, and so we have to be really careful um, about thinking that we're exactly in a biblical setting uh, when we look at some of those. Finally, we talked about the armor of God, being faithful to the truth, righteous in our behavior, keeping the gospel, the good news as our message for people to come out of the world, faith as our shield, and salvation as our hope, and scripture as our sword of defense. And then we should be engaged in prayer and fasting so that we maintain our connection to the Lord and to one another. Now last week, Jeff led what I thought was an excellent discussion of the examples of Joseph and Daniel and his companions and Esther. And i got to tell you, as I watched that, and I put it up on uh, uh, Facebook in our private uh, uh, page, uh, I was so gratified, as those of you who spoke, 
really saw the dynamics and the characteristics of standing in resistance without being belligerent, without pre-planning. It was really great. It was so great that I actually asked Jeff to continue through Acts this week. But he decided he'd have me return to the teaching. That's actually not good. Because generally, I think that when uh, the congregation is in full participation, it happens more when I'm not there than when I am there. Because I still, for some reason, have some kind of intimidation uh, aspect to you. You think you're going to say something wrong in front of me or something. Uh, so we want to watch out for that. So today we're going to look at some examples from the apostles, and I'll lead it as much as I can. I want to clarify some differences, though, between the coerced assimilation and persecution. Because you'll see that coerced assimilation involves threats, and often those threats have no follow-up. This is usually the authorities bluffing to try to get compliance. We've seen a lot of that in uh, what's been going on in the last year. We're to stand firm under such threats and not fear man, but fear God in that context. Now, when it comes to persecutions, there's usually a direct action of imprisonment, fine, punishments, or removal from our jobs. And here the Bible gives us two options. One is to suffer joyfully, as we're told in the book of Hebrews. Suffer joyfully? Let me read it for you. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. Remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, don't throw away your confidence, which has great reward. Wow. So, this joyful, remember Jesus said, Rejoice when you are persecuted, and all manner of evil is set against you for my name. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. The other thing is what we are told by our Lord in Matthew 10, 23. When they persecute you in one city, go to the next city. So we're not to take on the persecutions. We are to uh, move from them. Stand where we can. And when we can't stand because of the uh, persecution reaching a point of life threat, then we are to move on. So now we're going to look at some examples in the book of Acts, and I'm going to stop from time to time to see if any of you have any comments or you want to discuss it, and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, Jeff's got some ideas as well, uh, and we'll do that. We're going to begin in Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4, um, and we're going to pick that up right at the beginning of that, uh, that chapter. Acts 4 says, as they talking about the disciples, they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed by what they were teaching and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, because it was already evening. And many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. 
On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. When they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, By what power or what name have you done this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, begins to speak to them. Now we're going to pick it up in verse 16, because I'm not going to go through them telling the uh, gospel to them, but remember the message is always the gospel. So, when we pick up in verse 16, it says, uh, but they're talking among themselves after hearing them. They said, so this won't spread any further among the people. Let us warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than God, you can judge. But we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And when they threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis upon which to punish them on account of the people, because the people were glorifying God on what had happened. Because the miracle was more uh, was on a man who was more than 40 years old. Now, Peter and John had been preaching in the temple after having healed a lame man. The priests, the Sadducees, and the captain of the temple, remember the Sadducees predominantly don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They're preaching about Jesus being raised from the dead and the resurrection when he returns. And so they're arrested. This is not the government of Rome. This is an ecclesiastical authority, a temple authority. They're then given a hearing, and then they're threatened and warned to not continue teaching. But Peter and John are going to stand their ground and say, you can judge whether this is right, but we know that we must do what we have seen and heard. And so they come back, and if you read further in 29, uh, they begin to pray to God and say, Hold, look at their threats, Lord. Give us boldness that we won't be afraid of them, but we will fear God and we will go further in that sense. So here we have persecution in the sense of being jailed and threats. These threats are not completely empty threats, and they're, uh, they're, the, the, the disciples are not willing to stop because they know that they are to present the gospel. So anything that you want to... Uh, Mention you may have noticed in this text. You can do it this, the way we usually do it. You can uh, um, open up your uh, your uh, video, or you can walk up to the uh, 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 podium at the sanctuary. Anything, or Jeff, you got anything there you want to want to mention? Okay, I guess not. So I'll, you coming up, Trevor? Yeah, I. You know, Bruce, that this passage to me, when I I read it and I I studied it, it looked like what they're. It, it reminds me of the passage of "Be ready in season and out of season." Right? Don't deny what God has put forth, and so that that's that's what I kind of gathered there. We're not to just. Be silent. We're supposed to still testify about what he has given to us. Yeah, they, the authorities are telling them not to uh, not to preach in the name of Jesus, but they have been given a commission, right? Yeah. Uh, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. You go therefore and proclaim the gospel. Right. Right. So they're they're going to continue doing. 
And they were told by by Yeshua himself, and that's where you know I kind of struggle with some of that. I'm like, okay, I read the scriptures, I see what God wants me to do, but by the authority, is there any difference in say? I'd say there's a huge difference between me and an apostle. So that's yeah. I I, I don't want to get lost in those weeds, but let me say that the the great commission was not given to everybody in the body. It was given to the uh, leadership. You'll see that later when uh, the Holy Spirit says, separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I called them. You don't get the calling of people who are new in the faith, weak in the faith, un- untaught in the faith in that kind of context. And I think we need to be careful. I was so bothered by the signs about repentance and about Jesus at the uh, riot at the Capitol uh, because there are people that are just... They're not really proclaiming the gospel. They're being obnoxious in the name of Jesus. And as a result, we all suffer for it. So we're not supposed to suffer as wrongdoers. We're not supposed to be dumb in a no-dumb zone. And uh, we need to watch out for that. But if you are proclaiming the faith and you're told to stop, that's not something we, uh, we would stop doing. Okay, anyone else before I move on? Yeah, I saw Katie was on. Katie, did you have something you wanted to say? Um, I the noteworthy thing to me that just there's like a a remarkable humility that tends to like you're talking about not being defensive and not being an idiot and not when they're standing before being asked the question. It's like you know you you can judge how you want to judge before God, like. But, but we know what's right. And I, I just find there's so much strength, but humility in that statement. And I think that tends to be like a common thing where it's not a pushback, but it's just like a still strength and humility kind of tied together. And, man, I wish I could have that. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I always think of the passage where Paul is struck by the high priest. And he, you know, he basically let, you know, lights into him. And they say, uh, you're going to say that to the high priest? And and Paul says, I didn't know he was the high priest. Probably wasn't wearing the robes, right? Didn't know he was the high priest. Uh, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of the leader of your people. So there's a humility uh, in connection to God that, that spreads to being uh, careful how we speak to anyone who is an authority, and the scripture is very clear about that. We don't become belligerent, and we don't become abusive in uh, in that kind of sense. All right, so I'm going to uh, move on to chapter 5. We're going to pick it up at verse 17. Uh, verse Chapter 5, verse 17, it says, uh, in this case, uh, the high priest um, rose up along with his associates, in the sect of the Sadducees, they were filled with jealousy. They laid hands on the apostles and put them in public jail. I want you to notice that a lot of this is the Sadducees and the priests. And again, it's the issue of the resurrection is really a, a part of this. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison. And taking them out, he said, go stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. Upon hearing this, they entered into the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priests and the associates came, they called the council together, uh, even the senate of the sons of Israel, 
and sent orders to the prison house for them to be brought. They're going to bring them in front. But the officers who came did not find them in the prison. They returned and ported back. We found the prison house locked quite securely and the guards standing at the door. And when they had opened up, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests heard these words, they were perplexed about what was happening. And, and someone came and reported to them, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. When the captain went back with the officers, he proceeded to bring them back without violence, for they were afraid of the people that they might be stoned. Uh, remember that authorities are always afraid of the mob, right? And when they brought them, they stood they stood them before the council and the high priest questioned, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. And yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you're bringing this man's blood upon us. And Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. Then he's going to preach the gospel to them again. In verse 33, here's what we have. And when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and now they want to kill them. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, the teacher of the law, respected by the people, stood up in the council and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. And he said, men of Israel, be careful what you purpose to do with these men. We've had these, he talks about some others that rose up, and he says, those things usually don't go anywhere. He says, but if these guys are from God, verse 39, you will not be able to overthrow them, or else you will be fine fighting against God. They took his advice and called the apostles in and they flogged them. And then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. And so they went their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer, suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Now again, what's going on here? They're ministering in Jesus' name. They're arrested and jailed. But this time an angel releases them, tells them to go back and continue preaching. So they're reminded that they are doing the right thing and they need to do it. There's reinforcement. But there's also a higher uh, punishment going on. So they're told again not to do it. They say, we're going to obey God rather than man. They're going to end up getting beaten and told to stop. And their response is, they go away rejoicing that they were worthy to suffer for the Lord. So what you see is the pattern is now increasing. We're going to talk about this in subsequent things, about how uh, anti-Semitism gets uh, larger and larger, anti-Christ mindset gets larger and larger, punishment and threats get larger and larger, and the will of the people going back and forth has an effect on the on the authorities. So the, I want us to know something. Just because the angel released them didn't mean they were going to be untouchable. They're still going to get flogged in this context. So thoughts or questions on this part? Your mic is blocked. All right, Bruce. All 
So my question is, it look in this passage, it's interesting. It's hard for me to fathom, but what this passage points out in a brief piece of it is the religious authority throws them into a public prison or jail. They work together in that way? Well, they're, they're, this is why I say we've got to be really careful about thinking that it's the same as our situation. Yeah. There, there was a, there, there is a, uh, a king over them, Herod. Uh, we'll see him a little later. Um, uh, the uh, Jewish history, because of the Maccabees and other things, the Romans tried to give them a little bit of local control. And so the Sanhedrin had a lot of authority over people. They were letting them follow the, the Torah in that sense as the general laws in that area, uh, Judea and the Galil. And, uh, and so um, there is kind of a quasi thing here. Rome is behind it, but Rome is, is, is taking a hands-off as long as you pay your taxes and you don't cause an insurrection. Right? Uh, then we'll kind of let you Jews do that funny stuff you do. And so this is, this is, this is quasi civil and quasi religious. So we went from kind of religious to now we're quasi religious. We're going to see it going more into the civil as we go further down. Okay, Katie, you're back. Yeah, I couldn't get my microphone on. <laughs> um, so, um, I assume we're going there next, um, so I don't know if we want to save it till then, but uh, when Paul, um, the prison opens, basically, and he says, like, hey, I'm still here. Yeah, I'm um, going to get there. So, I mean, do we want to talk about it then? Yeah, let's like, talk about that when we get okay. to it. Okay. Jeff, did you have something? Sure. Um, you, st- you stole most of my thoughts, Bruce, but I'll try to keep it quick. Um, you have great thoughts. That's why I wanted you to do it. I have great thoughts. That's right. Uh, no, um, I think what strikes me here, and, and you, you did touch on it at the end there, is, um, you know, we worry we worry about persecution and, and assimilation for ourselves, but more for our kids, right? But then to see that the apostles, that they were thrown in prison, and then they're, or, uh, they're flogged and they're sent out, and they're sent out rejoicing because they're accounted worthy of it. That's That's the part where... Uh, I think we have trouble with, right, where um, uh, we would appreciate if we weren't, you know, put in that situation, right, but to have that mindset and that focus on uh, this is our this is our message, this is our goal to proclaim the gospel, and, uh, you know, it might get us in trouble, right, but we're going to do it because that's what we're called to do. Um, so that, that's hard to, to wrap our throw my mind around, but it's... Yeah, it's yeah. well, and it's, it's really important to keep in mind that the disciples were there when Jesus said, uh, Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely mm-hmm. for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for so persecuted they the prophets, right? Now, it wasn't governments that were, you know, other nations that were persecuting the prophets. Sometimes it's uh, as I like to say, God's wonderful people. We're going to find sometimes that our enemies are those who are in the faith, or at least are claiming to be in the faith. And that's that's always disheartening. But we have to keep in mind, as Paul says, there will be divisions among us that those among us who are approved may be manifest. So. 
All right. Now, I, I'm going to just remind you of one. Uh, in Acts 6 and 7, we have Stephen. He's preaching. He's going to get killed. The synagogue of the freemen can't change them. So they begin to bring false testimony to bring them before the elders. So here we go now, where if you don't do something wrong, they're going to claim that you did something wrong. I'm going to talk about how that works later. This moving from there are people who are guilty, then pretty soon anybody from that group can be accused of being guilty and there is a problem. But remember with the stoning of Stephen that some are not delivered. Stephen preaches one sermon and uh, and that's it. So we're going to move to Acts chapter 12. Trying to watch my time. I've got two more events I want to look at. Acts chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 11. Now we're going to move more into the government area. Now at that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Judeans, this is the leadership of the temple area, uh, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. Okay, uh, So you, you need to understand that there is religious tension here, there's Roman tension here, there's a lot of problems always at Passover in that kind of context. When they had seized him, he was put in prison. They delivered him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, going to try to keep the angels away, huh? intending that after the Passover, they would bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church of God. And on the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, so this is later, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared with a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter's side and woke him up and said, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird yourself, put on your sandals. He did so. And he said, Wrap your cloak and follow me. And as he went out and continued to follow, he did not know what was being done by the angel was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. Okay? And when he passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from them. So now Peter says, Wow, I know now that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hands of Herod, and from all that the Jewish people were expecting and when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where they were gathering together and praying. You know this. This is where Rhoda comes out, comes back and says, Peter's there. And they say, no, it's a ghost. Right? Uh, fascinating stuff. Fascinating stuff. Now, the persecution this time is from the government. And some of the imprisonment uh, is, is done. James is killed. Remember, some will be delivered, some were killed. Peter is arrested, and then he's delivered by this angel. And if you keep reading in this chapter, you'll see that Herod then is struck dead by God later. Not because Peter did anything. Peter's doing what God wants him to do. God does what God does. We have to keep that in mind. Now, uh, 
Any questions or thoughts on that one? I, the next one will be uh, from chapter 16. We're going to go to Paul. You'll see that pattern all the time, that some people will suffer, some people will be delivered. And uh, that's the way it has always been in that in that context. Uh, and that God will uh, come in, in these cases, he released them, uh, not through a court system, but by angels, right? Uh, which reinforces for those who are suffering in these deep times. Uh, I, I always think about that uh, scene in Schindler's List where they're trying to shoot that rabbi and the guns, none of the guns will work. And yet there are other places where the guns worked terribly, terribly well. And so we have to trust the Lord that whether we live or we die, we are the Lord. Okay, I haven't seen any uh, uh, new uh, things, so I'm going to move to 16, uh, chapter 16, beginning at verse 16. Uh, uh, we've got Paul preaching the gospel, proclaiming the, the message. And it says, it happened as they were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl, having a spirit of divination, met us and was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, These are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation, the world way of salvation. And she continued doing this for many days, and finally Paul was greatly annoyed. He turned and said in his spirit, to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out at that moment. When her masters saw that their hope for profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them uh, into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them there, the chief magistrates came. Now, so we're back, now we're dealing again with, with civil government. Uh, the, these men are throwing our city into confusion. They're Jews, and they're proclaiming customs which are not lawful for us to accept or to observe because we're Romans. And the crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore off their robes and proceeded to order them to be beaten. And when they struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanded the jailer to guard them. And he, having received such a command, threw them in the deepest prison and fastened their feet in socks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns and praise to God, joyfully rejoicing in their suffering, right? And the prisoners are listening to them. And there's an earthquake, and the foundations of the prison are shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chain was unfastened. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was there, I would have probably split, okay? Uh, but there's no angel there, right? And when the jailer awoke and saw the prison, doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners would escape. Of course, that's what they would do. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. How can I be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved in your household. Now this guy is going to take care of them, and he's going to bring them back. And I want you to follow up what's going on. Verse 35, now when the day came, the chief magistrate sent the policeman, saying, release those men. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, the chief magistrates had sent to release you. Therefore, come out and go in peace. And Paul said, wait a minute, wait a minute. 
They've beaten us in public without a trial, and we're Romans. And they've thrown us in the prison, and now they're sending us away secretly? Let them come themselves and bring us out. And the, and the guards are, reported these words to the chief magistrates, and they became afraid when they heard that they were Romans. And they came and appealed to them, and when they had brought them out, they begged them to leave the city. And they went out of the prison and went to the house of Lydia. That's one of the house churches. Now, I want you to catch this. Here we see people uh, who are uh, saying, we don't want these people, they're messing up our culture, okay? This is the culture conflict between the gospel and the world. They're going to be beaten and they're going to be imprisoned without uh, due process. At least their due process. Now, rather than escaping during the earthquake, they bring salvation to the jailer and his household. So what they begin to do is they begin to bring people uh, into their confidence. They're not fighting for their rights when they do their rights, but they're doing something to give the authorities pause. So let me tell you the two principles that are here. One of the principles are we are supposed to win the support of some, like Joseph did and Daniel did. They did good for people. They gave them their goodwill. Even though those people may not accept the gospel, they are going to see you as a good person. Uh, we are told to make friends of mammon so that when we're in dire straits, they will help us. And then you, there are some people that you can't win over, uh, and those, you want them to think twice before coming after you again. And so there you assert your rights to bring them to be afraid of those who are, have more authority over them. So, for example, we saw this week that the churches that instead of being blatant just simply appealed to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court gave them what they wanted. Now, the authorities that are lesser have to adjust. So, there are a lot of examples uh, in the book of Acts and the narrative parts of Scripture. But in each case, the circumstances are different, but those principles are the same. So, I want you to think about this principle, that where we can win the favor, this is what going the extra mile is. If you are, if there's a Roman soldier and he tells you to carry his pack a mile, he's only allowed to do that, and you carry it two miles... And he says, why are you doing that? Well, I belong to Jesus, and he told us to do that. He's going to start bringing more of you in there, and if people start picking on you, he's going to say, leave them alone. We want to win the favor of those who are in charge, and you don't get that by uh, being uh, uh, obnoxious. On the other hand, where they completely violate Things, you want to remind them that they also have an authority that they have to answer to, so they might lessen up. Okay? So any questions, thoughts, or comments on this one? Okay, I see the other travel. Okay, so my question was, it says that um, Paul, like, took a demon out of the slave girl, yeah. but then the people, yeah. but then the her masters who saw that, they say that they're proclaiming customs, which it is not lawful for them to accept, but I don't understand, 
because that's I don't think that's what they were doing, but I don't. Well, remember that the Romans were pagan, and they believed in a lot of gods and a lot of supernatural powers. So she was part of that system. And what's happening here is Paul casts that demon out of her and presents Jesus. And they say, this is Jewish stuff. We don't want anything to do with that Jewish stuff. Okay? Great question, Adam. Katie. Um, okay, so talking about the um, Paul, uh, going back to my question, is the difference that there was an angel there leading them out and then not an angel there leading them out? You know, we're not given clear information. Uh, I suspect that Paul believed that they didn't, he was having influence on the other guards. Mm -hmm. And if they had escaped and the other people had escaped, I think they would have been hunted down. So he's he's not only saving himself but others, as he did with the shipwreck. Mm -hmm. uh, if if you're only thinking about yourself, then you're going to get out of there. But he's thinking about others, and mm -hmm. then the guard is going to be grateful, and sure. he's going to take care of them and uh, be on their side. So I think that uh, that Paul either used wisdom or God gave him special insight in that in that place. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess we can all hope for the discretion to see that wisdom. <laughs> well, remember what Jesus said. When you are persecuted, don't worry about what you'll say. It will be given to you at that. Yeah. I think the Lord is with us in persecution mm -hmm. more than than normal in, mm -hmm. in that sense. Mm -hmm. All right, anyone else? Okay, let me do my little last brief thing here. All right, Bruce. Um, oh, you have one? Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm pointing out, um, Andy wrote a question in the chat. It says, the apostles were preaching the gospel, and it was making the religious authority look bad because they crucified Jesus. We're not in the same situation here, so how can this apply to our situation in America? Or rather, how do we apply these lessons to our situation in America? Yeah, so, so let's say that we're not probably likely to get in trouble with the Southern Baptist Convention. But if we did, we'd have to think about religious authority. But this last one, Paul is not dealing with religious people. He's dealing with the Romans, and he's dealing with the culture that he's in. This is in diaspora. So this situation with Paul is much more akin to our situation where the culture is thinking very different than we are. And when we say, uh, and this is one of the problems that happened when we tried to force Christian marriage on non-believers. Uh, we should have begged for ours to be accepted what we did is we said, this is what everybody's got to do, and people don't. People who are non-believers don't like religion jammed down their throat. And so what it does is it brings the animosity back. So I think there's an enormous lesson for us in that Paul is trying to uh, be honest in what he's proclaiming, but he's not forcing anybody into it. And in some sense, he's making friends with those who would be open to the gospel, and he is setting a, a boundary with those who would be uh, more hostile towards him. 
All right, so let me let me close this up, and then we'll do a general Q and A in case there are any residual ones. Next week, I want to address the starting place for us. Uh, we're beginning to regather because the courts have given us a decision that's in our favor, but the battle's not over. The foundation of our congregation is our homes and our relationships with each other. And we have to be prepared for the possibility that we may not always be able to meet in a public facility. We need to rejoice in it while we can, but we need to be prepared for the loss of it. So I'm really asking you to read that Live Not By Lies book that I suggested as soon as you can, because I'm going to draw out of it some of what the guy describes as a strategy for resistance, and he connects that to the suffering that happens when you're doing right. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll do Q&A.